Hey, this is Mohani Love from Let's Talk About It. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Honey Loves Podcast. Let's talk about it. This evening, we have Mr. Richard Capriola. Richard Capriola spent 11 years working as an addictions counselor for Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, before retiring in 2019. Menninger Clinic is one of the top 10 psychiatric hospitals in the United States and specializes in the assessment, stabilization, and treatment of adults and adolescents with substance abuse and psychiatric disorders. During his tenure, there, he worked in the Adolescent Treatment Program and the Adult Comprehensive Psychiatric Assessment and Stabilization Program, working closely with psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and nurses. He was responsible for comprehensive assessments and individual and group counseling with patients diagnosed with substance use disorders. Richard Capriola, let's talk about it. Thank you so much. Let's talk about it. Wow, I can imagine the experience, your life experience. Well, what I've, inspired you to write this book? Well, as you mentioned, I spent over a decade working at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, and as an addictions counselor. And during that time, I had the uh, opportunity to assess and treat both adolescents and adults uh, diagnosed with mental health and substance use disorders. And so many times I would sit across from a family and I would go through their child's history of using a substance and, and, and give them the diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. Now, these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best job that they can. But uh, they, they didn't recognize the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. Nobody told them what the warning signs were. So after I left Menninger, I wanted to write this resource. Uh, the Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I kept it to about 100 pages because I know that parents don't have a lot of time to read volumes of information, but I wanted to pack it with a lot of information that I think parents will find helpful. Uh, it has an overview of street drugs so that they know what's out there that kids have access to. I talk a little bit about how uh, the brain works in the adolescent uh, brain and, 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 and how it it's so important to protect that developing brain. I talk about what assessments are important. If you think your child is using a substance, what tests and assessments should you get done? Yeah. I, I talk about what uh, treatment options are out there. 
what's available and and the range of treatment options. I talk about what we call process disorders. Uh, There's chemical disorders, uh, which are alcohol and drugs and process disorders, which are more behavioral. Examples are um, eating disorders, self-injury, gaming, cell phone use, because sometimes these will accompany a child using a substance like alcohol and drugs. And then I talk about what is a good treatment program look like? What's an evidence-based treatment program look like? And what questions as a parent should I ask a potential treatment provider? And then there's a number of resources in the book too. So I packed all this together in about 100 pages that I hope parents will find um, helpful and informative. I have a question. Sure. So how many of these children, uh, well, teens, let me say that, that you um, came across who parents also were drug users or did you suspect that there were parents that looked like good parents but they also have some type of drug use going on in the home but yeah, they, felt. yeah that that's that's that was really hard to assess because the primary focus is on the child the adolescent um, our social workers uh, had the responsibility of working with the with the families and and I would sometimes see the frustration that they were going through because many times parents want to take their their child into treatment and they don't want to talk about the family issues they just want the child fixed and 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 so many times it's not just the child that needs treatment the family unit needs treatment as well but yeah. some but sometimes parents are to get involved in that process they just want to focus on the child not on the family and and do you believe that friends friends i believe friends are possibly (laughs) um could be part of a lot of drug use too if it's not going in the home you know yeah, there's, there's a lot of routes that, that teenagers use to get exposed and end up using drugs. Certainly one of them is in association with their friends uh, that are using substances. Sometimes it's peer pressure. Sometimes it's a result of, of, of something that happens in school. And, and sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes a child, a teenager is using a substance to medicate an underlying issue. For example, Many of the young men and women that, that, that I treated at Menninger Clinic who were using marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were using so much, the mm-hmm. number one answer they came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. It calms really? my anxiety. So for some kids, not all kids, but for some kids, they have stumbled upon a drug like marijuana or some other substance that helps them deal with some type of intolerable thought or feeling or memory. And when they find out that that substance works to, to, to eliminate or reduce that intolerable thought, feeling, or memory, then they're more likely to continue to use it. So when we have a child that's using a substance to medicate an underlying issue, it's very important that we not just treat the drug use, we also have to treat the underlying issue. Well, I would like to talk about you as a child, if you don't mind. Sure. What? led you to become an addictions counselor? Was it because of a life experience that you went through or you watched a family member go through or it was just something that your 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 heart said, this is where I want to, to go? 
I, I think it was my heart saying, this is where I want to go. I, I spent almost three decades working in the field of education as a state level administrator in the state, oh, wow. of, in the state of Illinois. And as I transitioned out of that career, I began to work uh, part time at a mental health regional crisis center. And we would accept patients from the emergency rooms into the crisis center. And I noticed that uh, quite a few of them had not only a mental health crisis that they were going through, but also a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and got some more training and education in addictions counseling and continued to work at the crisis center for a while until I was offered the job at Menninger Clinic as an addictions counselor. And I worked at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas for over a decade. So it was a gradual movement in this area. But as I began to work with, with adults and then children uh, who, who have been affected by uh, substance abuse, I, I really felt a passion to want to reach out and help them and their families. So that's how I got involved in it. What was the youngest child that you can name that was, you know, you has substance abuse issues? Most of them that I treated were in the age range of 14 to 17, but there mm. were but there were some that came in that were uh, like 11 and 12. But most of them were in the upper teen teenage range. Wow! So someone 11 or even 14. Yeah. How does that go, if you don't mind? Well, what, what, what we tend to see at the very young ages, even the preteen years, is, is more of an inhalant use. Inhalant being vapors, pretty much. Vapors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can be, they're, they're, they're household products. We have them around the house. They, they might be glue. They might be gasoline. They Magic might be, markers. Magic markers. That's an excellent example. And and teens, preteens, uh, we we tend to see that kind of inhalant use at at children that are very very young. And the danger with that is uh, two things: their 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 brain is still very very vulnerable, um, and 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 the way inhalants work is they give you a very rapid high, but it doesn't last very long. So the kid is likely to repeatedly use it over and over and over and over again because the high doesn't last very long and that can be really damaging to a young brain wow but i because i have to be honest right i remember the magic marker smelling yeah. the magic really, yeah i do too it's not a joking matter but the magic marker the gas station yeah I, you know and um i don't know if it, it didn't affect me you know um so i don't know if you know what I mean? You have to really to to be a I don't know. I guess everybody's different. You know what I mean? Yeah, because everybody's I do remember that that magic marker. Yeah, every, every everybody's different, uh, you know, and and it all comes down to you know that that first effect, that first feeling, and if if it's something that you don't like, you pull away from it. If it's something that you enjoy, uh, then you're more likely to continue it and perhaps move on to other other substances as well. So your workbook, um, yeah. is it work? Okay, the workbook that you've written. Is it um, worksheets for family too, or is it just for the child? 
just for the family, because what I recognized was families need help too. Parents need help too. They're going through a crisis dealing with a child who's using a substance uh, and, and may or may not be in treatment yet. Parents need help too. So I wrote this very brief parent handbook. It is for the parents. Yeah. It has exercises in it, um, you know, like identifying the substances your child's using, uh, what, what interventions have you tried and did they work or did they not work and why didn't they work? Uh, there's an exercise where you write a letter to your child. You don't have to share it with your child, but you write a letter getting out those feelings and those frustrations and that anger and expressing how all of this is affecting you. There's an exercise, a brief exercise on how to uh, cope with anxiety. It's a breathing exercise, a slow breathing exercise. And then there is some tips on how to communicate better with your child. You know, we're pretty good at, at, at listening to each other's words when we talk. Uh, mm -hmm. But but we're not so good sometimes at listening to the feelings that are underneath those words. So I give some tips to parents on when you're talking to your child, listen to not just what they're saying, not just their words, but listen and reflect back the feelings that you're hearing coming from that child, because that can be a very powerful communication tool. And it's a skill every parent can learn. Every parent can learn the skill of listening to their child's feelings in addition to their child's words mm, it's, it's, it's like I call it listen to listen yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it it's a strange way you know you have to, to you have to be able to listen to listen yes yeah. it, that's very interesting so did your book help families do you do you have any um, families that your book have helped you know, I don't know. The book has only been out there for less than a year, so I really haven't gotten any feedback. There's there's some reviews on, on Amazon that are very favorable in terms nice. of people reading it and giving feedback, and those are all helpful. But in terms of a family saying, hey, you know, I read the book and it really helped me out. It helped my family. No, I haven't seen any of those yet. I hope I do, but I haven't yet. Well, let me ask you to wind down the interview. I would like to ask you, if you could give advice to any parent who's listening to this podcast and they kind of like, you know, sometimes you can listen to something and then it's like light bulb. Let me look at my child. They look kind of strange. <laughs> it, it can happen. You know what I mean? You start to think as you listen and you listen to people talk. And yeah. what would you say to them? Their first step would be if this is what they think is going on with their child. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, um, uh, let's talk about that. Uh, uh, I think if you suspect your child is using a substance, the first thing you do is have a conversation with your child. And by that, I don't mean accuse them of anything or, or get angry or get upset uh, or threaten. Uh, I would suggest that you have a conversation where you come from an inquiring point of view. In other words, I'm seeing these behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing them? And the child uh, says, what are you uh, talking about? 
Yeah, Nothing's yeah, no. wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. That's a conversation that's likely to go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. The child is either going to blow up, get, yep. <laughs> a- get, get angry and defensive, right. uh, and, and possibly start yelling and stomp away. Or it could go the other way and you might learn something that you didn't know before. Nice. Uh, you know, but of how that discussion goes. Uh, if you are concerned that your child is exhibiting behaviors that you're concerned about that may or may not be related to drugs, you need to go to the next step, which is to get the assessments done that I recommend in my book so that you can get the profes- professionals to evaluate what you're seeing and give you their advice as to uh, ruling in or ruling out uh, what yeah. What I also love about your book is straight to the point. Like um, in the beginning, you say if your child uses alcohol or drugs, you know how it affects your family. Yes. These substances substances enter your child's brain and change their behavior. You want to help your child, but where do you begin? The addicted child is your road map. Yes. I love it because that's what you know. Parents are helpless. What next? Um, you know what I mean? And it, from what I see, everything's here. And this would be a, a nice book to have in, at a university also or in schools. I think it would be. I think I think it can be a good resource for, for parents. It can be a good resource for teachers who deal with children almost every day during the yes. school year. It can be a good resource for social workers, psychologists, anyone who deals with families or children. But, but most of all, I'm hoping it will be a good resource for parents. Knowledge is power. Yes. And, and, and and many parents want to shy away from this topic. They think it can't happen to their child, but no child is totally protected. It doesn't matter where you send your child to school. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your income level is. All children are subject to being captured by drugs. So rather than avoid the topic and assume it won't happen, knowledge is power. Get a copy of the book. Uh, learn the basics in it. It's not going to take you very long. It's only about a hundred pages. If you don't need it now, keep it on your bookshelf. Maybe you'll need You may know a family that you can loan it out to, but the more you know about this, the less fearful it will become. And hopefully it'll give you a sense of not only being in control, but give you some hope that if you're confronted with this, you can get through it and your family can survive it and do much better. Yeah. The first thing I guess would be not to panic because it's scary because and I have you came across any kids who use more than one drug yes uh, I, I have um, some of them have used a combination of alcohol and and were also using marijuana uh, some of them were primarily relying on marijuana but they got into uh, you know experimenting with um, you know pills uh, prescription pills over-the-counter pills um, yeah so so there is always the possibility that a child may begin with one substance and then either add additional substance to it or substances to it or move on to more dangerous drugs and legalizing so let's talk about the legalization of marijuana how do you feel about that 
Well, legalization for marijuana is an adult issue, not an adolescent issue, because even in states that have legalized it for adults, they've not legalized it for adolescents. Uh, and I think it's very important that when we're talking about this entire legalization issue, uh, that, that we confine it to adults, not adolescents, because the adolescent brain is vulnerable. It's in the process of maturing and developing. Our brains don't get fully developed till around age 24. Or 25. So it's very important as parents that we protect that adolescent developing brain. The discussion on legalized marijuana for adults, uh, that's, that's an argument that there's pros and there's cons, you know, advantages and disadvantages. Uh, but that is not an argument that is applicable to the adolescent population. I, I understand. I, I understand. But what I was thinking about was and I, I I live in New York City right yeah so the mentality of the teenagers in New York is oh it's legal so they're gonna get it you understand they're not getting it from the the uh you understand the dispensary they're getting it from whichever way they can get it and it's funny yeah. how you say that we all know that it's for adults but I just started to think when I looked at your book, how many kids will, will look at that and say, well, it's legal. Do you see I, what I'm saying? I, I, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think the perception society gives by legalizing it for adults in the in the in the teenager's brain as illogical as it may be then the teenager's brain it's like okay if it's adult if it's okay for adults it's got to be okay for adolescents but the 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 thing is that's not true. What is okay for adults is not necessarily okay for adolescents, mostly because of the dangers associated with, with the developing brain and the damage that can be done with the developing brain. And the other point that you bring up is, is also an excellent one. Buying these drugs off the street is much different than buying it from a dispensary because when you buy drugs like marijuana or any other drug off the street, you don't know what's in it. It's not regulated. You have no idea of, of what's included in that marijuana besides marijuana. Um, but kids aren't able, uh, you know, their, their, their abstract reasoning is not developed to the point where they can draw the distinction between an adult and an adolescent and between drugs being legal for the adult population, but not legal for the adolescent population. But there's some big differences in those two. But there were never emphasis put on you know, there were no, I, well, I don't know if it is, but I don't remember hearing every time they said on the news, we've legalized marijuana in these states, but they never said, but it's only for adult usage. No, they don't say that. They don't say that. They just say it's legal. And in the teenage brain, legal means legal. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. And no. then how do the parents fight that? Uh, that, that, that is a, uh, that's a battle that they probably uh, can't win. Um, you, know, you know, here's what I found helps with adolescents. What? Uh, what doesn't work is me telling them it's illegal. Uh, if they continue to use, they're going to drop out of school. Uh, or they may uh, not graduate, or they may not get to college, or they may not hold a job, or they may not have a family, because they don't believe any of that stuff. So I'm wasting my time by going down that route. They used to say it stunts your growth. I remember that yeah. growing up. It's going to stunt your growth. 
Yeah, they don't believe that either. Um, so what, what, what does work with them? Uh, here's what I found works with them. It's a neuroscience approach. Kids are interested in their brain. How does their brain work? What, what is this thing called a brain? So I would approach it by educating them about the neuroscience of the brain. These are the different areas of your brain. This is, the, this is an area that's responsible for speech. This is, this is an area that helps with coordination. This is the one that helps you uh, with your abstract reasoning and sorting out pros and cons. And then I would introduce, after they, after they got an, uh, an idea of how important the brain is, how critical it is and what it does, then I would introduce how drugs work in the brain. And I would show them a picture of a brain and it would show the different areas of the brain. And then I'd show them another picture where marijuana attached itself to the brain. And they could see right away, okay, now I see how marijuana affects my coordination and my short-term memory. They could see it. And, and that that more than anything uh, opened the door to them uh, really thinking about whether they wanted to continue to use. They could see the effect on their brain. Wow. Now that to me is a better model to explain what drugs do, what they do to your brain. Yes, it is because it captures their attention. Um, you know, having an assembly at school once a year that tells them drugs are bad and drugs are illegal and don't do drugs, uh, that goes over their head. But they're curious. They want to know the neuroscience. They want to know how their brain works. So you can use that as a route to introduce the importance of the brain, uh, the different areas of the brain, and then introduce how drugs can negatively impact those areas of the brain. Wow. But I believe that this is a this is a good book to get, guys. I mean, you can purchase this book on Amazon. Um, talk about your website and your book, so then everyone here. Yeah, the the, the website is uh, www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. When you go to the website, you can read a little bit about me. You can read endorsements and book reviews. You can uh, read a, a sample chapter. There'll be a link that will take you to Amazon book as a Kindle, if you like to read on a Kindle, or you can you can download or you can order the paperback version of the book. And there's also information and uh, a link that will allow you to order the uh, parent workbook. And there's a link that will allow you to send me a note or, or a message uh, or ask me a question. So I would encourage people uh, to to go to the book's website and, um, and, and, and order the book. It's not going to cost you a lot. Uh, but it's going to be a resource that I hope you find very informative and enlightening. And uh, like I say, um, you know, keep a copy, um, you know, on your bookshelf. It's a handy resource. Uh, and hopefully uh, you'll feel more comfortable about this topic than, uh, than what you did before. And also you can look at it as an investment. If you're not investing um, in it for yourself or your home, you can definitely just have it on standby because one thing about substance abuse is happening to so many adults that you, you forget about the teenagers. I mean, you know it's happening, but you don't think it's such a high percentile rate, in which I believe it is. It may be more. 
It, it, it is, and, 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 and when you look at how available these drugs are, it becomes really, really shocking because when we ask high school seniors, how easy is it for you to find marijuana? Almost 80% of them tell us it's no big deal. They can do it. They, they know where it is. Um, <laughs> and over 80% tell us they can find alcohol real quick too. So these drugs are available. And then the other side of this is when we ask them how harmful do you think these drugs are, they don't think they're very harmful. For example, when we ask high school seniors, how risky, how harmful is it, do you think, for somebody to smoke marijuana regularly? Only 30% of seniors, high school seniors, say that's harmful. And when we ask them about alcohol, we ask them, how harmful do you think it is having one or two drinks of alcohol nearly every day is harmful? Only about 24, 25% of high school seniors tell us they think that's harmful. So, so the drugs are available and these kids don't think they're very harmful. Well, guys, audience, I hope that this was very informative for you. I would like to thank Richard Capriola for coming to, to this interview to discuss the new book he's written, The Addicted Child. Go grab one. And thank you for listening to Mohani Loves Podcast. Let's talk about it. And always know I love you. <laughs>